0: This is the Dental Marketer Podcast, where we teach you how to effectively market your dental practice. My name is Michael Arias, and my mission is to help you, the practice owner, to grow your practice, attract new patients immediately, and be seen as the go-to dental office in your community. And the way we're doing that today is by talking with the brilliant Dr. Christine Gracioso, a.k.a. Dr. G. And have you ever wondered what it really takes to shift to a fee-for-service model? Dr. G is about to share some gold and guide you on how she did it. Three things that were on point when she decided to do this was, number one, team unity and the power behind a united team. Two, the magic of accurate data. You really want to know the nitty-gritty of data management. And three, this one is a curveball why your neighboring dental practices might just influence your next big move. And you'll learn how to master these three things, utilize it to your advantage, and then, if you want, be ready to shift to a fee-for-service model. But if fee-for-service is not a goal of yours, still, Dr. G gives us three things that will make your team more unified. You'll be accurate with all your data so you know exactly where to turn up the knob to increase collections and how to use your competitors to your advantage. So let's listen into this conversation. But before we do that, here's a pretty awesome deal from one of our sponsors, especially if you're looking for new dental units or chairs that won't break the bank. You know what they say, it's the little things that make the big difference. And in a dental practice, the choice of a dental chair is one of those little things. Choosing the right dental chair, like an Olsen dental chair, can have a significant impact on your practice. Start with the basics, comfort. When your patient sits down in one of the Olsen chairs, they're settling into a seat that's been designed with ergonomics in mind, providing more comfort to the patient and the dentist. And this comfort can turn a nervous patient into a relaxed one, and a relaxed patient is more likely to return and refer others to your practice. But it's not all about patient comfort. As a dentist, you're spending hours each day working around these chairs. Olsen chairs meet new dental techniques, allowing you, the professional, to move ergonomically and respecting the privacy area of the patient. This means less physical strain on your body, and that can lead to many more years of successful practicing. And Olsen chairs are also versatile and flexible. Designed for general practice, orthodontic, or any specialty your practice has. From leather, PVC, traditional or continental delivery system, Olsen offers custom options for every part of the chair. Because let's be honest, your practice isn't a one-size-fits-all. Why should your dental chair be? And let's not forget about cost-effectiveness. Olsen chairs have the quality and durability for day-to-day intensive use and can save up to 75% of energy consumption compared to hydraulic systems. This makes an Olsen chair not just an investment in comfort, but an investment that can save you money in the long run. These chairs don't compromise on style either. The elegant designs of Olsen dental chairs, like the Performance model, are ideal for ambulatory surgeries or different specialties. It's not just a dental chair. It's a statement about your practice, your value, quality, comfort, and style. So if you're in the market for a new dental chair, consider the impact it can have on your practice. Check out Olsen. For a limited time, they're giving you free installation with any purchase. So go check them out. It's gonna be the first link in the show notes below. You can click it, check them out. And with Olsen Dental Chairs, you're not just buying a piece of equipment, You're investing in the comfort of your patients, the health of your practice, and the future of your career. Now, that's something to smile about. All right, it's time to talk with our featured guest, Dr. Christine Gracioso. Christine, how's it going?
1: Hi, Michael. How are you?
0: I'm I'm good. Thanks for asking. Thanks for asking. If you can, Christine, start off with telling us a little bit about your past, your present. How did you get to where you are today?
1: All right. So I am a pediatric dentist and I started my practice in 1999, way back when, when things were really different. There wasn't the technology we have today, there weren't the rules and regulations necessarily. So things have really changed. But I have been a dentist for 30 years and a pediatric dentist for 27, practice owner for 23. It's been a great ride. I love it.
0: And so was practice ownership always something you wanted to do or? How did that come about?
1: I Yeah, I think I always knew that I would be an owner. How that would look, I didn't know. And I really didn't decide to be a dentist till I was a senior in college. So it wasn't like a lifelong dream. It just kind of happened. And, it ha- and I love it. I wouldn't want to change anything.
0: Yeah. What were you wanting to do before that?
1: Oh, let's see. First, I started as an a- Wanted to be an attorney and quickly learned that was not for me. Then I thought an optometrist. And then when I got into physics junior year, I realized no way, not my strong point. So I had a little bit of an existential crisis and had to figure it out. And dentistry kind of fell in my lap as an option. And I got a job in a dental office, happened to be a pediatric dental office, and it I knew immediately, it was immediate that I had found what I was going to do for the rest of my life. So I was really fortunate in that.
0: So what was the immediate thing where you're like, this is it, now you came home, you're like, I'm going to do this. What was that?
1: It was really more of just a feeling. So... The first day I walked into, I got a job as a dental assistant and I knew nothing. I knew nothing about dentistry. And this dentist who is, many pediatric dentists know his name, Arnie Weiss. He Mm. uh, took me in and said, I'll teach you everything you know. Work in a year with me before you apply to dental school and we have a deal. So he took me in and it was really just a feeling. I had this overwhelming sense of this is where I belong and this, I loved it. I just loved it. So it really was not really tangible, but I just knew.
0: Mm-hmm. What did you learn from Arnie that you still take on today?
1: A lot of the behavior management. He is a master at, he's retired now, but he was a master at behavior management and, you know, how to charm the little kids. So I learned, really, that was the main thing I learned, but I learned a lot more than that too.
0: Yeah. But that was the thing the major major takeaway, how to...
1: Yeah, how to deal with
0: children, so. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. So then you went into dental school, and then from that point on, you decided to immediately own your own practice. Was it in dental school, or was it out, you were associating?
1: Nope, I went to, well, well, you have to do a residency to, to go into pediatrics, but I had to break a year between dental school and residency because I was getting married to someone who was in the medical school, And he had to go immediately to residency. And as a dentist, you can just go out and practice. So I waited and followed to where he did his residency, which was Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and applied to my pediatric residency then, worked for a number of actual pediatric dental offices then, learned so much, went into my residency, leaps and bounds ahead of if I had just come out of dental school. And then I came back to Massachusetts and worked with Arnie Weiss again. And I thought I would likely become a partner with him. But due to geography and my husband and I choosing to leave the city and move down onto the South Shore of Massachusetts, I knew I wanted to open my own practice. So it was kind of gradual. And then I opened a practice and had a baby at the same time.
0: Oh, man. So yeah. talk talk to me about that then. How how was that? Was at any moment were you thinking like, maybe maybe I shouldn't? open the practice right now, put a pause on it.
1: I had the moment immediately after I gave birth for like the first month, I said something to my mother along these lines. Do you think you could have told me what it felt like to be a mother? You never once told me that maybe I would be like, whoa, what am I doing? So I had that feeling. And then when my son was 11 months old, I got pregnant again. And I was just in the process of actually building out the space that I still am in more than 20 years later. And I think I was a few months into that pregnancy doing the build out, having to make decisions, also having still another baby at home that I had some second thoughts. But my husband kind of put the kibosh on that. He's like, nope, you've come this far. You've got it. You're just hormonal. And truthfully, At the time, it didn't feel supportive, but he was 100% right. And, you know, I have to say, I think that I have been very fortunate. I was never five days a week clinically. Ever since I opened my own practice, other than during the pandemic years, when I went all in again, I really, I practiced three days a week. And that was a wonderful way to balance being a mother and a practice owner.
0: Okay, gotcha. So it's always been 3 days a week up until the pandemic you said.
1: For me personally the practice grew to 5 days a week I have I had associates probably starting it around year 7 or 8. So but uh, you know one thing and if young dentists are listening to this that I think it's lost is you don't realize that it takes time to grow. It doesn't just happen immediate. So Your practice isn't all of a sudden you're open and you have a hundred patients that week. It just doesn't happen that way. Unless you go someplace that is just, you know, there's no other dentist, but where most dentists seem to like to go there, we have a lot of practices already. So it takes time. So it wasn't a big deal to start at two, three days a week and grow it and grow it. And once those days were full, and then I wanted to expand to other days to hire someone else to help me with that. So I think that's a really important thing for younger dentists to realize is that it's not immediate success. It's just like when you come out of dental school or residency, you're not gonna make the same financial living that someone who's been doing it 25 years is. That's mm-hmm. not how life works.
0: Yeah. That's true. So then Christine, let me ask you, when will it feel like or when if you were examining me and you're like, okay, Michael, it's you're on year five and you you should have grown more by now. Or is it like no, it's okay. It's okay. Give it, give it a more. When, when is the breaking point where it's like we're not growing? I, I, I need something. I need something to change.
1: Oh, well, I think you always should keep seeing forward growth, in the, even in the first few years. But so it was easy for me. I had a husband who worked, and we weren't counting on the money from my practice right away. I did. I actually, I, I should mention this that I stayed in other jobs. I was an associate for the first two years that I was opening my own practice. This was another funny story. So a good friend of mine from dental school, also a pediatric dentist now, her boyfriend at the time was a pediatric dentist and he opened his own practice while we were still kind of getting out of residency and doing that. And he used to say, I keep looking at my bank account and I think, all right, Next week, I'm probably going to have to shut down. And then eventually, as you get towards the end of that first year, it changes. And you start seeing that you can support the bills and you're not only living, out, you know, you're not paying yourself. That's, I think, another mistake. People think, oh, they should be making all this money right away. For me and colleagues in my generation, we just assume we weren't really paying ourselves right away, that we kept investing in the business. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a different philosophy I see these days, too. They all want to be making a lot of money, but can't necessarily right away. You have to put the time in. That's what I'd say. So I think it's really hard for a practice to fail, to just be like, oh, I'm just going to give up. I, I do think that's kind of hard to do if you are in an area that your services aren't necessary. So I mean, don't open up when there's five other pediatric dentists within 10 miles. If you open a practice there, it's a little bit harder, right? If you or in an area that practice is necessary, or you buy an existing practice, that seems like a good way to go. And you are good at what you do, and you offer really great customer service, because to me, that's really the key. Customer service is the key to success. Then you are going to see yourself grow and become successful. And then you just have to decide what success means to you, because it means different things to everybody. It's not only that you make money. (laughs) that's satisfied in your life, in your career, that you have the lifestyle you want to have, that you have time off, you have time with your family. All those things lead up to what I would call success, not just how much money you make.
0: Got you. How long, or did it even take you a while for you to realize that when you were starting out your practice, having your children and everything, because I feel like that's like you're, you're boggled down in the moment. You're in, did you also start your practice, have a child, and you were an associate? Wow.
1: Yes. And then I think I got out of, oh, and I started working a day a week at Boston Children's Hospital teaching in the residency, but that didn't last that long. That was only like a year and a half, two years. So there was a lot going on. And I think especially women, we just multitask and go forward and we
0: handle a lot. So then what did you feel was being spread too thin in that whole moment? I mean, what would you have done differently? If anything. The
1: one thing, it doesn't fit what you're asking me of what I would do differently as far as time-wise, but what I would have done differently is had a greater appreciation for purchasing the real estate. I do not own the real estate associated with my practice. I've always leased. And I felt back then, how could I possibly buy it? I can't afford this. I wish I understood that I could have taken loans and it would have been okay to have some debt regarding real estate for my practice. So early on, I wish I had done that. It seemed so expensive, but now in hindsight, all these years later, it wouldn't have been. Mm -hmm.
0: So that's the thing you wish you would have done is bought the whole building and everything.
1: Yeah. Or found a, a space and built a building. It seemed unattainable to me. I do think that younger dentists these days are much more willing to do that, to take on the debt and they're not as risk averse, but For me back then, it was too overwhelming and too scary to contemplate doing. Because the property's always been expensive here in Massachusetts, right? But in hindsight, it would have been a smart thing to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, you were already taking a lot of risks, Christine, if you think about it. You know what I mean? You were doing a lot. So it's kind of like you think about it. Now you're thinking, I got to take another risk on, you know what I mean? So maybe hold off. At that moment, you were thinking that. So I can... Totally, I'm putting myself in your shoes. Understand that, you know? So now you're in your practice. Let's, if we're rewinding back, you decided to start your own practice and where you're at now. Mm-hmm. And has it been, when did you start going fee for service or have you always been that way or?
1: So when I started, the PPOs weren't really, they were just starting to come into the environment. And the people I worked for, Arnie Weiss being one, and then another practice in Needham, Massachusetts, they all just were in network with just like these premier plans. So Delta Dental Premier, Blue Cross Blue Shield, they used to call it indemnity. And that was pretty much it. So that was the advice you got. And you took those. And at the time, it was, you know, an 8% discount, reasonable, helped build your practice. It's just that over the years, and there, honestly, there was only one pediatric dentist that I knew- that was completely out of network with everything. And she was like this unicorn. We didn't even, I didn't even think about it or understand it. I was like, I don't even know what that's about because everybody took these two plans. And then as the PPOs started coming in, I just always said no, no to all of them because I was like, why am I going to take that discount? Why, you know, I knew what it cost to run a practice, Mm -hmm. but the overhead was, this is a little bit of a long story. So I'll tell it and you can interrupt me when you would like so I took those two plans and I really didn't pay that much attention to what was going on. I just went about my business. My practice was growing. I ran my business by my gut. I wasn't data-driven at all. I didn't look at the numbers that much. All I knew is I was profiting. I was, every year I made a better living, even through the recession of 2008. You know, growth happened. I had this uh, a vibrant practice that I loved and it was, it was becoming profitable. And I never like looked deep into the data. 2016 hits and one of the large insurance companies sent out every dentist in Massachusetts a contract that was basically most a lot of people just signed it because we hadn't we never used to have to renew our contract. I hadn't signed a contract since I opened. You know, it was like 15, 18 years. They never used to make you resign. All of a sudden we get this big contract. And some of us were like, "What is going on?" And they basically were trying to force us all into a PPO 30% Pay cut kind of right up front is what it looked like. So, some of us got really nervous and started. We hired attorneys to review it and realized there was no way we could sign it. It opened my eyes and I really started digging into the numbers. And I noticed that, oh boy, I wasn't taking an 8% discount anymore. We were down to like 17%. And it was only going to go up. So, then when all this was happening, you saw, wow. You know, when you weren't paying attention, they were discounting your reimbursements more and more. And that was routine in the practices of insurance companies. And I was supposedly not in PPOs. Well, they were acting like PPOs without calling themselves that, really. So, well, a couple things happened. I realized there was no real good place for dentists to communicate. And we were also being told you couldn't communicate because you would be under collusion. So you're not allowed to talk about this stuff. So a group of I formed a Facebook page, the Massachusetts dentist Facebook page, as a place for dentists to have to communicate. We were, I hired an attorney to make sure that there was no collusion or anything that was said. They monitored my page so that we made sure we did everything correctly legally. And at that same time, we didn't feel that our dental society spoke for us in this matter. They were kind of agreeing with the insurance company and going along with it. So a group of us got together and over a matter of four, five, six months, we formed an alliance and we made it a nonprofit. Again, had attorneys to make sure we did everything right. And we became a, a force that went in front of the division of insurance and lobbied the legislature. And we had our attorneys write an appeal to the attorney general. So we did everything legally and it kind of got my, I got fired up for advocacy. I really mm-hmm. did. And at the same time, I realized that I couldn't sign that contract anymore. It was taking away all my rights as a dentist. And I felt like the rights of my patients, there was too much control from the insurance company. So I started working with my office manager to really look at what it would mean to go out of network. And I talked to a lot of pediatric dentists around the country who had already done it many years before. And in other parts of our country, people never even took insurance. This was just normal what they did. But up here in Massachusetts, and I know other states, you you went in network with insurance. So I started really doing my research. As they say, I talked to a lot of people. I read books. I got on every Facebook page I could that would talk about this. And then I made a plan in my office and I spent two and a half years educating my staff, making sure our customer service was elevated. And we made a, a deadline that as July 1st, 2020, we'd be out of network with all insurance. So I was getting out with the two insurances I was in and also with Medicaid. I had started being a Medicaid provider 15 years prior because I wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to help patients and I wanted especially to help my special needs patients. So I decided for me, I had to drop all at once because I didn't want any one group of people to feel that they were being discriminated against. So to me, it was easy to go all at once. Now, I wasn't in 20 plans. If I was in 20 plans, I would have done it differently. So just coincidentally, the drop date of my insurances, because you had a plan, you had to give six months' notice to one company, 90 days, was right in the beginning of the pandemic. So things got a little messed up in the process. But here I am three years later, and I'll tell you what, no regrets. No regrets. I love that my practice is, we're not a truly fee for service practice. There's different terminologies. I call it an out of network practice because we still do all the work for our patients. We get the part of the customer service we give is to do all the insurance work. We file for them. We still look into things and we accept assignment of benefits on all the plans. I always accepted assignment of benefits on like the Met Life's, the Cigna's, the Guardians that I was always out of network with. So we didn't change anything for those patients. The plans that won't do assignment of benefits in our state are Delta Dental and Blue Cross Blue Shield. So now my patients have to receive that check. And that was a big hurdle to overcome. But now that we've overcome it, it's really not as big of a deal as every dentist thinks it's going to be. It's not. You just have to plan and appropriately train your staff and educate your patients. So most dentists are a little bit afraid of doing this because they're afraid they'll lose all their patients. So that Hmm. means they're going to lose out financially and, you know, many other reasons. But every dentist I talked to had told me, you are going to lose patience. You are going to be slower, but you're going to stay the same financially. And frankly, they're right. So it's a different mindset. It's taken me a couple of years to accept, you know, my head and my heart coming together to realize that we are slower. We do have less patience, but the profitability in the end is the same. And I'm a really, I've changed and I'm really data-driven now. So we track everything in my office because I want to know. And this is a big point. I I started actually marketing. We hardly ever did marketing before. And now we put a lot more effort, energy, and money into actually marketing. But where it used to be, so I told you in 2016, 17, I looked and we were probably at a 17% discount. It went up. By the time I dropped in 2020, we were over like, we were probably 21, 22% insurance fee discount. Now my, dis, my discounts or my write-offs or adjustments, better word to use instead of a discount, but adjustments are 1% to 2% a month. So, so you can spend more on other things like marketing.
0: Wow. That was a lot. I know that, <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic though. It's fantastic how it all kind of, you created this whole movement, right? Especially when it came down to, to Massachusetts. You talk about making a plan and training your staff. Can you kind of break down to us instructions wise, like what is the plan that you created?
1: Well, the first thing I did, and this was on advice of one of my colleagues, he had me read a book by Simon Sinek called Start With Why. And I read that book and I found my why. And then I decided to educate my staff on the why. Because one thing that really surprised me was they were not on my page. They were like, no way, we can't do this to our patients. Everyone's mm-hmm. going to leave. I wouldn't pay more money to come for cleaning. They're used to. They were not on my side, and I thought for sure because I, you know, I thought, well, I've led them in in every other aspect of this. They're just going to say, okay, well, you're the owner, you know. And that was not the case. That was a big surprise, but it was really good because it made me work harder. It made me work harder to train them. In addition to that book and then presenting my why, we did a full-day staff meeting, slides and everything about the book, about how I found the why for me, how I, what it meant, and then teaching them to understand it. We also did a whole-day staff meeting on customer service, and we used the Starbucks example. We read a couple books about Starbucks, and we used their customer service model and we broke it down into dentistry. And so, and my office manager, she was, she was really in charge of that presentation. She even went and gave that presentation at like dental courses and stuff. because it was really good. So we spent time, I literally spent time. And then we spent days role-playing, role-playing, role-playing. By the end of all this, my team was bought in. The ones who weren't kept it to themselves and they came to me six months, a year later, they're like, oh my gosh, Dr. G, we thought you were crazy. Like, we're like, we thought you were going to destroy your practice. And this is the best thing you ever did. They're happier. They like the, the pace. Truthfully, the hardest, most difficult patients, 99% of them left. All the great patients stay. So my front desk will tell you that it's rare for them to have, they're not chasing people for money. They're not being argued with. They don't have like the people who give attitude. And unfortunately... Our world a little crazy right now. All the crazy we see everywhere is in every dental office too. Makes sense, right? So yeah, that's so true. that's how how we did it. We we I made sure I knew what was important to me and that my office manager was on the same page. I have a fabulous office manager, I have to say, fabulous. And she and I work really closely together. And then the other dentists in my practice, one is my associate, but we're partners in a second practice. I do have a second practice, and you know, I made sure they all. Agreed, and you know, understood where I was coming from, so that it was just it was a lot of time and effort, but it's so worth it,
0: yeah, no, hundred percent, so you got your whole staff, first of all, I guess to get on the right mindset to understand mm-hmm. your why instead of being like, "Hey, do this, do that, do this, we're changing it up, right? And then maybe they might have in front of you been like, "Okay, yeah, but behind your back, they're like, "What the heck is she doing?
1: Right They wouldn't be able to effectively communicate if they didn't believe it. So you have to have the staff around you that believes it. And I think that scares some people, too. They look, they're like, oh, I don't know that this one, that one. And then finding staff right now, we all know it's a challenge. We're, we're living in a very different time right now. So it's under, understandable to be worried about that. You actually, though, end up needing less employees when you go out of network and your fee for service because you have less patients. You just do. It's rare that you don't, right? Rare. There's exceptions to every rule. Nothing is a hundred percent, but I'm in a saturated area. When I opened my practice there, there were two pediatric dental practices within five to 10 miles of me. They were there before me. Then maybe a year or two later, another one opened maybe 20 miles away. And in the last 10 to 15 years, four or five, six or seven. I can't remember how many. I'm open within 10 to 20 miles of me. So we're saturated and I'm the only one out of network. So it's possible to do, but you have to make sure that you believe it, that you are good at customer service and that you are good at what you do. I, I have great pride in my practice and it's not all about me. I said, I have other people who work with me and for me and they live my vibe and my dream, and I thank them for that every day. That's, you know, I, it's clear to me that they are doing it the way that I dreamed and wanted. But they don't parrot me, but, you know, that's, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know if that
0: you do, Yeah, no, you do what you want. Yeah. And so yeah. you officially went out of network before the pandemic, right? Like literally, like a Well,
1: we gave the notification, but the actual date was July 1, 2020. So we mm-hmm. just got back into our offices. We were out from mid-March until we started being back for emergencies mid-April. And then we kept back to like, back to normal business June. So we were only in our office a month normally, and it wasn't normal. It was anything but normal, mm-hmm. but seeing, you know, all kind of the full schedule of patients, but all socially distanced and all that. But we were only in the office for a month. And I will say that we kind of were so wrapped up in all these changes with the pandemic. I mean, we changed so much that we let, go of all the planning and all the the process of being on a network. So when July came, it was a little bit of a nightmare. We had a tough month and it got better each month, but it was a little bit out of our hands. I mean, I look at it and I was like, we were in such chaos in the pandemic that the chaos of going out of network, I'm kind of glad it all happened.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's true. In that month, what was out of control at that time?
1: We could have had better conversations with the families about being out of network, Mm -hmm. but we were also wrapped up in asking about the, you know, if anyone was sick, did they have a fever? Did we do this? Did They were calling from the car. I honestly can't find fault with us because it was such an unusual time and every dentist knows, like... Crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And
1: especially in Massachusetts, we're a state that really believed that it was a dangerous virus and all that. We weren't running, you know, yeah. people were scared up here. We had yeah, to be yeah. lost a lot of people early on in the pandemic. So people were scared.
0: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I agree. Now, you mentioned to get your team involved, right? Let them know your why, things like that. Does that involve just like, all right, we're going to do a team meeting? Forty-five minutes. Let me show you this thing. All right, everybody's on board. Cool. Let's get let's hit the ground. Or how how often the consistency?
1: I would say every couple of months we had full day staff meetings or half day staff meetings, and we talked about it at morning huddle all the time. And no, it was it was intense, and it would have continued to be intense had the pandemic not happened. You can't just have you can't just talk about it in two minutes. We did role playing months of role-playing. Yeah, I still actually break out and do role-playing. I still check in. It's three years later. And I notice some things might've slipped a little because we've kind of gotten comfortable. So I check in with the staff. And if I'm like, well, we could be saying it this way. We have a quick meeting and we talk about it and we will role, role-play a little bit. Because again, what that's one thing I learned. This is off topic, but you can't just sit back. You have to have your finger on the pulse of your practice. And I will tell you that Even from a distance, because I've been a little distant from my practice the last six months, but even from a distance, I keep my finger on the pulse. Even if I'm not physically there, I am working behind the scenes and I'm diving into the data and I talk to my office manager every day and I check in. So that's really important for practice owners to remember. Micromanaging is one thing. You don't have to do that. I've been guilty of it, especially in the last three years. I did a little bit too much of that. but Again, we all were thrown up, you know, and what was going on. But I do think you have to know what's going on. And I do believe you should look at your data.
0: Yeah. So you're the one who always, how often, what data, what data are you looking at specifically? Like, I know like, okay, yeah, let's look at production collection, things like that. But when it comes to specifically, what are you keeping your finger on the trigger? What are you like saying? Okay, office manager completely trusts you. So where does that fall?
1: Right now we're really, because we went out of network, We are really good at tracking new patient calls, where they were referred from, if it's multiple places, knowing where, how many of those calls convert to an actual visit, what the people who don't convert, why they didn't, was it because we're out of network with their their insurance, and that's pretty much what it would be. So we track all that, and I'd get a, a report on new patients every single month. We also implemented a few new things that we are doing to try to Increase our new patients and we track if we're seeing a benefit. And we've found some interesting things. So it's all about the new patients. And in the new patients, we track where these referrals come from. So are they coming from families that are already our patients? Are they the siblings of the existing kids? Are they coming from the pediatrician, from other dentists, from Google, from Facebook? Where are they coming from? And then we really have been looking to see where our resources should be going for when we market to these things. Because before it was kind of willy-nilly marketing, but now we're looking. So we're tracking the data to see where our marketing efforts are paying off and where we should invest more, where we should invest less. I, of course, the financials. I look at the production, the adjustments, all of those things. You know, They like to say KPIs, key performance indicators. I couldn't even list what all those are. I know what I want to know in my practice. Those are the main things that pop into my head right now.
0: Okay. Okay. And do you have like a software for that mainly or?
1: I'm using Dentrix currently. I've been using it since I opened. Every program has flaws and I'm looking to go to the cloud, but that's another project. So Dentrix, we we spent a lot of time and effort making sure that the information going into Dentrix was correct so that the reports coming out because there's flaws in reporting in almost anything so if you don't have good data going in you're not going to you're going to get flawed data coming out and a lot of practices suffer from that and we have checks and balances i have two different three different women who have different tasks and they are the ones who will draw the data they get, and i have monthly meetings now i get reports on everything and we meet and they tell me what i need to know so that i'll stay on top of it because it's easy to just like not think about it mm-hmm. i also Another thing, having my finger on the pulse of things, I even now have a clinical meeting every month where they have to report in what's going on with equipment. Are there any equipment breakages? What do we need? You know, any of the issues there, I need to know what, make sure they're on all the same schedules for making sure the autoclaves are clean and all these things. We are very systems oriented. So we have task charts and check boxes for everything because if you don't have a system in place Things don't go the way they're supposed to. And that's like, you know, now I think dentists are better at starting their practices that way. Back when I didn't even have a computer when I started, you know, it, it, and then eventually I got a computer. I used to do all my billing by hand. Mm-hmm. Set, I wrote out insurance forms and sent them off. I mean, it was so different, really different than today. We didn't have the technology. We didn't have digital x-rays. You didn't have digital charting. None of that. Mm-hmm. So... It is a little bit different, but I think the quality of your data going in is so important to get quality reports coming out. And then my office manager is really good at, she set up a lot of spreadsheets that do the calculations and everything. So you're able to do it on your own. You don't need to hire companies, but if you're not good at that, then they do have companies out there.
0: Yeah. To get the right, right data. Interesting. And then you mentioned marketing. What right now is working where you're like, this moves the needle. Then there's stuff where you're like, now let's drop it or invest less into that.
1: So interestingly, back in the day, the things that were the number one referral sources for pediatric practices, now I can't speak to general at all. This is all pediatric, Were you wanted to have a presence in the schools, the pediatricians, things like that. The schools are a little bit less important, it turns out. So you don't need as much of a presence because people don't really care about hearing from the school anymore or the fact that you visited, which, you know, it's kind of sad, but it's true. Really online presence. And I'm not talking about your Facebook posts. That's not what build a practice. I don't care what anyone says. You have to do it, but it's really you being talked about in town groups, mommy groups, and then your Google presence, your SEO placement and all of that.
0: Okay. And reviews, are you doing
1: reviews are huge I should have said that yeah having good reviews I think are really important because nobody will pick their dentist now if they haven't checked out their reviews so if you have strong reviews I don't have an exorbitant amount maybe a little under 500 but the majority of them are five star and they're all authentic we do ask people to give them to us when they leave and you know only a small percentage do but
0: it's still it's still really really good yeah like yeah I you were going to say, oh, I only have a little under like, you know, fifty, but 500 is fantastic. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I'd like to get to a thousand. Who doesn't want a <laughs> thousand?
0: Yeah, no, that's really, really good. Okay, that's interesting. And so I have a question when it comes to now, because this happens sometimes, Christine, where or you've probably heard of it. And it is in your Facebook group, I'm sure, like where it's um they are a startup. They're about to open, but they want to go 100% fee for or out of network or fee for service right now from the beginning. Sometimes. I mean, we've been on some interviews where they're like, hey, I'm, I'm going to take on insurance because I can't make it. And then sometimes they're like, I'm going to fight through it. I don't care. Where's the balance here, in your opinion? Like, what? where's a good mindset?
1: So I think the balance is you need to know where you're opening, right? So all of my friends in the South, they never took insurance. So if you're opening in North Carolina, you don't need to take insurance. You'd be crazy to take insurance right from the start. Yeah, take it, help with it, but don't be in network. North Carolina, South Carolina, all, you know, I would say know your geography. So know what's going on and then talk to the area practices. The dental community, we should be helping each other, not, yeah, we're competition, but we don't have to be competition in that way. As a matter of fact, my office manager has gone into a woman's practice near me who opened up right near me in the town that was my main draw. And we tried to help her with running reports and looking at the financial data because she just wasn't doing it. I don't know if she is now or not, but I'm like, why not help others? It, it's silly to not, right? Mm-hmm. When you come on a podcast like this and and share. You know, I opened, I told you I had the Massachusetts dentist page. I also run the fee-for-service pediatric dentistry page. I opened that. It's all about sharing and helping. So go ahead and call The dentists around you, too many of them are trying to hide all the time. And like most of them didn't, no one called me and said, I'm opening practice near you. When I opened, I went to the two practices around me, met with them and told them what I was doing. And they gave me great advice. Nowadays, people just open and they hide it from you. I don't think that's a good idea. Don't talk to the dentist around you. Ask for advice. Find out who's in network and who's not. If no one's in network, you'd be crazy to go in network. You're, you have, the patients are know what that's like. So I think that's the most important thing. You need to be educated in what it all means. And here's the other thing. New dentists often have no clue about insurance at all. I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't. And I'm still learning. There's so much I don't know because I never took all these lower end plans. I call it a lower end plan, but lower reimbursing pain in the neck PPO plans. But- I look at it like, why would you ever want to work for 50% of your charge? No one goes to work and gets discounted. So, and if you want to give to me the best care with the best materials that you could afford all that, you need to be reimbursed because another really important point is being busy is not being profitable, right? Profitability and busyness are two separate things. And that I want to jump back. Remember when you asked what I check the data. Profitability Mm -hmm. is so important and it often gets overlooked. People look at their production. What's my production? What's my collection? But where's your profitability? What's your overhead? How, you know, that's what's really important.
0: Yeah.
1: And then, and back to choosing insurances, the point I'm at today, I like it this way. So Mm. I'm happy I did it. And if you can open without ever starting to take these low paying insurances or insurances that really, it's not only about the reimbursement. That's a big part of it because that's how we run our businesses, but it's about basically the control. The doctor patient patient relationship gets interfered with if an insurance company's in charge and can say hmm. when a patient comes to you, what services they can have, all those things. So better off not being controlled by a third party administrator.
0: Yeah, you're technically, I guess like they're the leaders, right? Kind of thing. They're the managers and they're telling you like what because the patient's gonna do it, right? Like whatever my insurance covers kind of thing. And then right. they get they get bogged down with that, but that's interesting. Okay, because yeah, like I told you, there's sometimes where people they're like, "Man, Michael, I'm gonna have to take. I- I'm doing everything. I'm gonna." But I never thought about asking them, like, "Well, why would you pick where you're at? Right, like Beverly Hills. Why are you in Beverly Hills right now, where everybody else is taking on like Delta Dental, right? Kind of thing. Starting off, it's hard for them to just fully be. I love you. You know what I mean? Right, because you have to
1: build a reputation, and I will say so. You know, I had a 20-year reputation before I went out of network. So I admire the people who start that way. But just now knowing what I know, like I said, so many of my colleagues started that way. It's just you just have to know what you're doing and how to talk about it and how to explain it. And your staff has to know. So,
0: Yeah, interesting. And one last question I want to ask you, Christine, is throughout the process, let's talk about from the moment you decided to own a practice till today, what's been some of the biggest... Struggles or pitfalls that you've experienced?
1: Hmm. You know, it, I can barely remember way back when because it was such a frenzy, as we talked about being a young mother or wife and then owning my own practices. So I think the biggest pitfall people don't understand is the emotional toll it can take because you feel very responsible to your patients and to running this business and to your family because you. You're trying to make money as to support your yourself and your family. So it can be emotionally draining. And when you work with the public, and in our case, it's the parents, because the kids, you know, they can scream and cry or whatever. You never blame a child. You understand behavior. You, your goal is to try to make it as good as possible. But people can be cruel, the parents. So you, I think growing a thick skin is really, really hard. And we take things on so personally. Because we're providing care. it's what we're doing. we're giving all day long. So that's a struggle to learn how to you know deal with the public. you're just you're opening yourself up to it because it gets if you get attacked verbally or nowadays these reviews that people leave for you, we didn't have that back when I started you take it personally because we all, you know our practices are our babies, really. And even if you're at an associate, you would take it personally if someone said something negative about you because they can go right. Other struggles are time management because it's hard to do it all, right? You, you have to find a way to prioritize and then realize that your practice isn't the most important thing in your life. It never can be. It's important because it's your livelihood and you want to take care of other people, but you have to put your family and yourself first.
0: Yeah. When did you, how did you realize that?
1: My mother has always, had always said about me that she would call me Chrissy. You know, Chrissy? you really work hard, but you're not a play hard too. I think I just always, you know, I don't know how, but I'm kind of blessed with, I'm a positive, optimistic person, but I'm a realist too. I'm not, I'm not like living in some naive Mm. world, but so I think I was really kind of just lucky. And I'm, I am an extrovert most of the time. I like my alone time, but I like to be around other people. So I think For me, I never really had to realize it. It just was what I did. I always surrounded myself by a lot of people, friends, family. I just always did. It's part of why I think I was good at being a practice owner and a pediatric dentist because I really like people. I'm not the person who says they like dogs better than humans. I like humans better. Mm -hmm. I love dogs, don't get me wrong, but I call myself a humanist. So,
0: Yeah. So was there a moment where you started realizing you're going away from that and you started Just only, just all about the practice, all the time, or?
1: No, I never made it all about the practice all the time. That's Mm -hmm. my point, I guess. I just never did that. I worked really hard, but I always, three days in the office, four days with my kids. So I was like a stay-at-home mom. But yeah, when they went to bed, I stayed up late and would be at my dining room table doing the ledgers. But -hmm. it's just the process. I look at it as like the process and the way life, you know, is. And I, here's a big thing. Ask for help. That would be what I would say. I always asked for help. I was never afraid to. I'm not afraid to ask other people for things because I know I would do it for them. So many people think they have to do everything on their own that it makes them weak if they ask for help. So if you're a young practice owner, get a few mentors. Go online. Now we have Facebook. And so, you know, for as much as we hate social media, there are some benefits. You have thousands of people who've done this before sharing their knowledge with you. Listen to them. Because they've been there, you know? So, yeah, I, I don't know if I answered your
0: question. No, I just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. And then real quick, for the emotional draining part, where it feels like we got to grow thick skin, but still be super loving to the parents, the children. But even then when you are, sometimes you're like, wait, we, you were just in my office and you left me this review? How come you didn't tell me that in person? Or, or even just emotionally draining in general. What advice do you have for that?
1: It took me probably 10 years to realize that I just needed to get away. I always liked to get away, but I didn't do a lot of that. You know, you don't have the money, you have a young kids, you have the practice. Around 10 years in, I'm also an empath and I used to take on every problem of my staff, you know, members. I, I would feel their pain. And I realized that it was sucking me dry because I was always feeling everybody else's pain and worrying about their problems. So I got really good at what I call compartmentalizing and putting it where it belonged. I could listen to it. I could feel it. I could understand it, but I had to let it go. I'm not exactly sure, you know, everyone has their own method to do that. But I started just making sure we got away as a family. We went on vacations and I didn't communicate with the office very much, if at all. Sometimes there was some communication and I always regretted it, (laughs) I could tell you. And so getting away, making time for yourself. And I did a lot of, you know, the catchphrase self-care, but I early on started doing that, even when I couldn't technically afford it. And things like I would get, you know, massages to the point I was doing weekly for many years, but, or at least every other week because it relaxed me, but it also did help with all the neck and shoulder pain from being a dentist. And it the relaxation, I would do girls weekends away and leave my kids and my husband because... Again, I needed to recharge with other things that were just fun, right? So I think that's really important is to take care of yourself. And I do think everybody, male, female, should talk. So if you don't, aren't comfortable talking to your loved ones or your family or you need outside, you should get therapy. I think that everyone could use therapy at some point in their life. I tend to talk so much. I'd be in a therapist all the time, except I'd talk out loud to all my friends.
0: <laughs> so, yes.
1: No, but I do think that's really important. It's for That goes back to what I said about relying on other people. So many people think they have to be in charge. They can do it all and they shouldn't have help. I really believe you need help. And I think you need it emotionally. You need it in so many ways. So you just have to find people you trust and can rely on a little bit. We're not islands alone here. We are in communities. So to me, that's the biggest piece of advice I could give. And then uh, not to be trite, but really focus on the good in your life and focus on what you do have, not what you don't. And that goes a long way. You know, counting your blessings, as they say.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Christine, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure. But before we say goodbye, can you tell our listeners where they can find you?
1: Oh, sure. Well, I didn't mention this and its I hope it's okay. Just recently, I did open a consulting company with another dentist and her Office Administrator, and we're calling it Shiro Dental Advisors. So if anyone wants to talk to us about some of the stuff I talked about going out of network and fee-for-service, visit us at www.shirodentaladvisors.com, although the website's really still under construction. But you can email us at info at and Shiro is S-H-E-R-O. Or you can Facebook message me. I'm Christine Love Peace on Facebook. Many pediatric dentists might know that. My website is www.sscdsmiles.com. So there you go.
0: Awesome. So guys, that's all going to be in the show notes below. So definitely reach out. And Christine, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure and we'll hear from you soon.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed it.
0: Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode. And Christine, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. We really appreciate it. Guys, if you want to reach out to her, make sure you go in the show notes below and click on her links. And... If you want more helpful tips, strategies, ideas, and marketing advice bi-weekly like the ones you've heard here today in this episode, then join my newsletter. Just go in the show notes below or in the description below and click on the link that says newsletter and you can join and bi-weekly you'll get in your inbox more helpful tips, strategies, ideas, and marketing advice in there that I provide for you. So go ahead and do that if you want that bi-weekly and thank you so much for tuning in. I truly appreciate it. And I'll talk to you in the next episode.